Chapter 7 By failing to come home the night of the blizzard, I had thrown a scare into my parents, and, as usual, they eased their nerves by ranting, after hugging and fussing over me when I walked into the house that morning. Then they ganged up on me as I was sipping a welcome cup of hot tea at the kitchen table. Why didn't you call? Mom demanded. That's what the phone is for, Dad put in. Yeah, but the battery was flat. So, you could have recharged it from the cigarette lighter. I forgot the adapter. Mom was leaning on the counter, arms crossed. You drove off to the city without the adapter, into the biggest storm in ten years, with the cell phone, without the adapter. Don't rub it in. I didn't know it was going to snow. Dad added, I keep telling you, don't drive any distance in the winter without checking the weather channel first. I stood up. I'd love to stay and let you two hammer away at me some more, but I'm going to have a long, hot shower instead. Take the phone with you, Dad said, and all three of us burst out laughing. Old Gold Antiques and Collectibles was a narrow, two-story red brick building with the Magus, a bookstore on one side and an espresso bar on the other. The store occupied the main floor with a showroom at the front, a small office, and a workshop out back. Overhead was a stamped tin ceiling, thick with many coats of paint, and the floor was made of pegged oak planks. There was a cellar, dark and creepy, where the bathroom was, and where we stored pieces waiting to be refinished or repaired. Business was transacted in a time warp. Cash only, unless the customer was local, then we would take a check. Each sale was recorded on an invoice, white copy for the buyer, yellow for us, and rung up on a huge ancient cash register with heavy nickel-plated trim. When the big round keys were pressed, labels popped up in a window, showing the amount of the sale, and the contraption let out a ring that they could probably hear across the street in the library. There was no computer, no credit cards, air miles, special offers, coupons, or mailing lists, no money-back guarantee. Buy it, give us the money, and keep it, was Dad's retailing motto. I worked there on Saturdays, opening up at 10 and closing at 5. I usually had the place to myself. When she wasn't off chasing a story, Mom would be at home and Dad was usually on the road hunting up treasures at auctions and garage sales. There was a brass bell hanging over the front door that summoned me from the workshop when somebody came in. I liked the job. There had been a time when I had a, a burst of independence, insisting on a real job somewhere outside the family business. I found one at a department store in the mall. After I'd been there a couple of months, the manager told me to follow an old woman around the store, to keep an eye on her. She was wearing a ratty old cloth raincoat with a scarf on her head. A toddler wearing clothes that were too small for him stood in the shopping cart, pretending to pilot it through the store as his grandmother pushed. I watched the woman pocket a kid-sized toothbrush, a comb with a cartoon character head on it, a packet of gum, she got on the elevator, and I slipped in just as the door was closing. They're watching you, I said to the doors. They know what you're doing. She rode the elevator back down, got off, and put all the stuff back. It touched me when she did that. She could have dumped the items on the elevator floor or laid them on a shelf somewhere and walked away. They caught her putting the comb back in the display case. Security had called the cops. When the manager ordered me to tell security what I had seen, I said, nothing. Red-faced and cursing, he fired me on the spot. 
When I left the store, the old lady and her grandson were sitting in the back of a police car. I guess I guessed I wasn't hard-hearted enough for the commercial world. Anyway, on a sunny sunny Saturday, a week or so after the blizzard, I opened the store as usual. Cars hissed past, throwing dirty slush to the edge of the sidewalk, and shoppers walked briskly in the chilly air. Across the street, the giant icicles hanging from the eaves by the opera house, by the eaves hanging from the eaves of the opera house were turned to crystal by the morning sun. I put a Mozart CD on the stereo and switched on the electric heater in the shop. Then I ducked into the espresso bar for a double shot latte, took it back to the shop and put on my apron. I was working on a replacement slat for a crib bed, an easy job, just a matter of cutting it to length and planing it smooth. It was a slow morning, normal for that time of year. I sold a few pieces of the pottery we take on consignment from a local artisan and a couple of old medicine bottles. Just before lunch, the bell tinkled again. I brushed the wood shavings away from my apron, drained the last of the latte, and went into the showroom. Standing in the doorway, wiping her boots on the mat, was Raffaella. She was wearing a red woolen Hudson's Bay coat and a floppy white tam. The cold air had raised a bit of color in her pale skin seeming to darken the birthmark. She caught sight of me. Oh, was all she said. I couldn't find my voice. I felt my neck and face flush hot, and something leapt in my stomach. I didn't know you worked here, she said, pulling off her thick knitted mittens. Uh, We own the place. Oh, well, that's great. Her eyes roamed the room. Mine stayed locked on her. How many love songs had I heard that said she takes my breath away? Now I knew what that line meant. My legs were numb. My vocal cords didn't seem to work properly anymore. I was painfully conscious of my my stained apron and the block plane in my hand. You have some nice pieces here, she commented, running her hand along a maple sideboard. Thanks. Dad finds them. I wouldn't have figured you for the antique type, she said. No offense. I refinished almost everything here, I blurted. The furniture, I mean. I shut up before I made another stupid remark. One corner of her mouth turned up in a half smile. She touched a water jug and porcelain basin sitting on a pine dry sink, then traced the green in the wood with her finger. Nice work. Thanks. Um, Can I help you with anything? I hope so. You know, the OTG is putting on a musical at the beginning of the summer. Yeah, I heard something about it. The Aurelia Theatre Group puts on plays and musicals regularly. Mostly musicals. I hate musicals, but I tried to look interested. We're doing The Sound of Music. Great, I thought. The musical I hated most. A cute governess who knows everything. Nauseatingly cute kids. Cute songs. A few Nazis who were so stupid you'd wonder why anybody was afraid of them and nuns. I'll have to try and take it in, I said. If she was in it, I'd see it. Good. Well, the reason I'm here, I'm the stage manager and the official props gopher. I was hoping your store, you, might lend us a few pieces of furniture for the set. If she'd asked for the deed to the store and everything in it, I'd have handed them over. No questions asked. Briefly, I wondered if Dad would mind if I agreed to lend the OTG what they wanted. Freddie Graham at the bookstore occasionally borrowed stuff from us for his windows displays. Then I had a thought. Tell you what, I said. I'll lend you anything you want. Thank you. You're very on two conditions. 
I cut in Boulder now. What do I have to lose? I thought. Raphaela smirked. And they are? One, you'll give us credit in the program. Antiques courtesy of, something like that. Sure, we would have done that anyway. She waited. And the second? You'll have that cup of coffee with me. That brought a deep laugh. She put a hand on her hip, arched her eyebrows. I told you, I don't drink coffee. Her words lacked the dismissive tone I had heard in my one disastrous phone call to her. Whatever you want, then. Herbal tea, hot chocolate, juice, milk, mineral water, ice cream, root beer, melted snow, or... She laughed again. Okay, juice, apple if you have it. Okay, I said. You have to promise not to call me Gana anymore. That's three conditions. I drive a hard bargain. Agreed, Garnet. Good. Wait here. Take off your coat and relax. I'll be right back. A few minutes later, I returned with two bottles of apple juice. Let's drink them back in the workshop, I suggested. When she turned to walk where I pointed, I flipped the sign in the window around to read, Closed. Raffaella took off her coat and draped it over the back of a rock maple dining room chair. On her black t-shirt was printed, I hate banks. Who's banks? I asked. Not banks. Banks. Oh, I see. Banks. Right. Banks. I took up my work again just to keep my hands busy and give me something to do. I knew I'd fidget if I didn't. That's a beautiful crib, she said. It's a cliche, I know, but they don't make them like that anymore. Well, they can't. They're illegal, considered an unsafe design. But I know what you mean. I removed the slat from the, vi- the vice and ran a bit of sandpaper over it. I had already drilled and countersunk two holes in each end, so I fitted it into place and screwed it down tight. Raffaella watched every move, making me slightly self-conscious, as if she was memorizing each step. When I put the screwdriver down and took a mouthful of juice, she said, Are you sure you're the same guy who is praising logic and reason in the debate? Why do you ask? You love wood. She was inviting me to share something I seldom talked about, except to my parents. Before I knew it, I was babbling away as if I'd known her for years. I told her about the pleasure and sense of achievement it gave me to fashion something from a piece of walnut or oak. How I sometimes felt a sort of communion with the wood. How, when I worked, I entered a state of concentration that dissolved my sense of time. That's why, when I'm here alone on Saturdays, I only do simple jobs like this one, I said. If I get into really complicated or delicate projects, I lose track of everything else and forget to mind the store. She laughed. I'll bet you've lost a few sales that way. Dad got some complaints there for a while. Have you ever made a piece of furniture from scratch? You mean copies? I was thinking about originals. How had she known that was exactly what I wanted to do? When I had time on my hands, mostly at school, when the teacher droned on about land formations or family planning, I doodled and sketched cabinets, chests, tables, whatever came to mind, then balled up the paper and threw it away. I'm afraid to try, if you want to know the truth. Raffaella made no reply. I'm scared that if I try, I'll mess up and ruin everything. I sound like a coward, I know. She shook her head, but still said nothing. My dream is to find someone to teach me to design furniture and open my own shop one day. I don't care if I make a lot of money, just enough to get by and live the way I want. 
then do it, she said simply, as if she was commenting on the weather. I laughed self-consciously. Yeah, all I have to do is convince my mother. She wants me to be somebody. I know the feeling, she said. A little later, Raphael looked at her watch and told me she had to go. I enjoyed our talk, she said at the door. It was only after she had left that I realized she hadn't said a word about herself. Normally, when I talked with girls, I couldn't relax. I believed that I had to say something clever or witty, or their attention would slip away. I'd make stupid jokes or end up saying something I didn't mean. And I often had, had the impression girls felt the same way. So there was a constant tension that ruined everything. I couldn't be who I was. I was always being judged, as if I had a meter attached to me that gave a reading somewhere between cool and loser. That afternoon, with Raffaella, it was completely different. Once I got over being rattled by her unexpected visit to the store, I talked like a normal human being. I wasn't constantly monitoring my words or mentally checking my loser meter. What was it about her that had that effect on me? I didn't know, but I liked it. <laughs>